0: Well, I pray your, your Thanksgiving has been well, and uh, you uh, were able to celebrate with family and friends and just kind of reflect and, uh, you know, obviously, you know, just think of all the things that you are thankful for, and uh, it's good. This is a greatest, greatest time of the year. This is the greatest season of the year. I love the fall, love the fall. You got Thanksgiving, then you got Christmas, then you have New Year's. Uh, it's just you know a beautiful time. You know, it's a, they, they they've definitely done studies, and people seem to want to get more involved in their relationship with the Lord, or explore faith and come to church around the holidays. And that's for a myriad of reasons, obviously. So you know, just be on the lookout. There may be someone that the Lord lays on your heart to invite. Uh, here or you know, not even here, but just engage with someone. Amen. In, 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 in the word and, and bring people to Christ. I, I, I love that song. Um, the whole thing is Christ alone. Christ alone. Jesus Christ alone. He is the chief cornerstone. That's it. Right. That's it. Us coming to that acknowledgement, recognizing that he is Lord He is God. We are not. (laughs) And that, you know, uh, you know, they always say you need the bad news before you get the good news. So we need to recognize that apart from him, you know, we don't have salvation apart from him. We can't be made right apart from him. We stay in that wretched state of being a descendant of Adam, the first Adam. Right. We're born into sin. But praise God that He made a way that it's like that no longer has to be that way. We can now be reconciled, brought back into a right relationship. That is, you know, as as I was, you know, going to different homes, and I'm sure um, some of you guys know Sean Sean Lawson. He's he's going through it right now. He's on hospice, and me and Veronica, well, you know, we uh, we were led to go over there Friday, and that was a bittersweet time. You know, the doctor said that he only has a couple weeks. It's been a couple weeks that he's, you know, he's still with us. But it was just a great reminder, you know, of the reality of what is really important. And I know that I'm sure that, you know, Sean wouldn't want it the way it is. But the fact that he knows that he's given his life to the Lord, he knows that his wife is saved. He knows that his children, they've raised their their four children up in the ways of God. He can bank on that. He can bank on the fact whenever that time comes that he's going to be in a glorified state with the Lord. There's going to be no more pain, no more suffering, no more turmoil. All those difficult things that we go through. Uh, we say, I see Maria here and she's gone through her own ordeal in the last several months. And, you know, praise God that he's restored her. And but again, it's just a reminder of what is really important. And at the end of the day, we can get caught up even in our own performance or our own level of service service or obedience to God. Yes, those things are important. I would never never try to say don't be obedient. Don't strive to be obedient. I, I teach that. I, I, I believe that conviction. I live that out in my own life. But the reality is Christ alone. It all comes down to that. If we put our faith in him and nothing else, that's what makes us right before God the Father. That's the sanctification right there, it's all in him. It's in it's in the imputed righteousness of Jesus to us. And it's in that that we need to as believers in him find our identity. That's that's where we we don't you, you have a short memory when it comes to, okay, man, I messed up. But it's like he's like, just repent. <laughs> Acknowledge that you were wrong in that area and, and I'm I'm right here to, 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 to make you right again. And we keep moving on and And I just want to encourage you with that, because I know that the devil would love nothing more than to creep in and try to get us fixed on what we've done wrong or where we don't measure up. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus didn't say, come to me when you measure up. He just said, come, come as you are. You know, not talking about your appearance, but how you are as a person. We all come to him in some form of grime and filth. But he's the one that does that oxidation. Amen. That does that spiritual in-house cleaning and makes us right before them. Um, I'm excited for the message today uh, as I'm, you know, praying about it and projecting into the near future, uh, you know, where we're going to be. As I said last week, we went over an overview of the book of Haggai and uh, we're going to start off. uh, I'm not sure if this book is going to lead us into, uh, you know, Christmas time. I've prayed about it and I plan on, uh, you know, having a Christmas message uh, the 25th being that it's on Sunday. Uh, but in any event, uh, we will be in Haggai for several weeks and then uh, we'll move on after that, uh, looking like into the top of the year, uh, moving on to a a new book after this. But with that, um, if you could please uh, turn to the book of Haggai in the Old Testament, we'll be going through verses one down through 11 this morning. I've entitled this message, the command to rebuild the temple. And, uh, Oh gosh, it's just I'm just so excited because this this word speaks directly to us as a church. This this word speaks directly to us as individuals in the body of Christ. And I pray that you're blessed. I pray that you're encouraged. I pray that you're convicted and challenged uh, through uh, this message that the Lord has given me. So with that, if you could please stand for the reading of God's word, uh, if you're able body to. If not, it's all good. And uh, we'll go ahead and read, we'll pray, and we'll get into the message this morning. So it says, In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month of the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, son of Daniel? Shiatil, Thank you. I like that ring. Mm -hmm. Governor of Judea and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the uh, high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. It is a time. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lays in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but your you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages so does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? declares the Lord of hosts. Because my house that lies in ruin, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. Above you have with, uh, excuse me, and I have called for a drought on the land, And on the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, this is a sober reminder that we as your children must consider our ways in all that we do. We must consider what are we doing with the time that you've given us. Are we honoring you by putting you first in all of our dealings, or are we going after our own desires and falling short in all that we do. Father, if we fall in that latter uh, category, would you correct us, Lord? Would you gently rebuke us, Lord? Would you show us the error in our way so that we could get back on track and honor you and glorify you in all we do? And for those of us that are honoring you right now, may we continue to Be steadfast. May we continue to walk circumspectly so that we may not fall into that category and end up putting our own desires before you. Would you actually literally change the desires of our hearts, Lord, and make us more bent towards your son, Jesus Christ? May we be removed from selfish ambition and may we be those who are honoring you by loving people. Father, make this a real reality in our lives on a daily basis. Father, I pray that you would inspire these words through the power of the Holy Spirit that you've placed in me and that it it would be your word that's brought forth, not my opinion, not my imagination. Your word goes forth. It's your word that holds all the weight. Father, we thank you and we love you. It's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So last week we got basically uh, uh, some fundamental information about this book, the book of Haggai to give us the proper framework, to give us the proper context to start to dive into this book. So Haggai was given a word from the Lord to wake up the remnant of Israel. This was the situation to encourage them to return to the work of the Lord and to restore the physical temple that laid in ruins. And this is the setting that sets us up this morning for our main points. And the first one is this, the Lord's timing, right? His timing, how he sees fit for things to be done is not like ours. (laughs) Our timing and the Lord's timings are not on the same page. If we are not walking in close fellowship with him, we will fail to recognize his timing. We won't get it. We're just going to be off because that, that, that hindrance, that blockage, that chasm, which is sin, unconfessed, whatever, unrepented sin, sin that hasn't been forgiven, that, that, that chasm of sin separates us from God and it clouds our, our discernment, it clouds our judgment, so we're not able to discern and recognize His timing. You see, as this chapter starts out, the people of God were basically saying, it's not time to rebuild uh, the house of the Lord just yet. It's, it's not time. We're not ready for that. But how did they know that it wasn't time? This was a question that I had to ask myself as I was studying this week. It's like, well, how did they know? (laughs) You know, did God reveal it to them in the scriptures that that it wasn't time? Or did God speak through some prophet to tell the, the remnant of Israel it's not time to rebuild the house? Or did they just assume that it wasn't the right time because they were too preoccupied, they were too busy with the things that they were personally already doing. By this time, I'm pretty sure you you guys are smart people, saints, you guys know the, the correct answer to this question. The people were so consumed, they were so busy with their own desires of building and restoring their own personal homes that they gave little time or no thought at all to what God's desire was for them. They were making all kind of excuses for not building the temple, saying that they were suffering a time of personal hardship or the enemy was oppressing them. And this was was going on. In fact, they had taken much of the available timber, right? The wood. That they could use for the temple and they actually used that timber for to make their homes, not, not just merely just a home to live in, right? Just functionality, basic necessities, but they made extra extravagant homes. Even though that there was a short supply of this timber, <laughs> they used the short supply for their extravagant homes, not for the rebuilding of God's temple. Because of their selfishness, this is the the selfishness that comes into play. They were so consumed with their own desires. They they, they had such a focal point on what they wanted that God had punished them with poverty and famine. This was what we we heard, we read over and over in the scripture just a second ago. The people complained that they could not build the temple because they were poor, but they were actually, get this, they were actually poor. Because they didn't build the temple. (laughs) They were actually poor because they weren't about their father's business. You see? And that's what happens to us many times in our lives. We wonder, why is all these things not happening the way I want them to happen? But if we're about our father's business, he provides the opportunity for things to come about. And they work out fine. They work out just fine. Not saying that it's not going to come with a snag and, and a bump Maybe several bumps in the road, maybe a couple potholes, maybe, you know, a bunch of things that you're going to have to go through, but you're going to be well off because you're about your father's business. I'm about my father's business. You see, when we do not walk closely with the Lord God, when we don't walk closely with Jesus Christ, it becomes extremely difficult for me and you to discern what he actually wants us to do. That's why you have so many Christians that are confused right now. (laughs) One, because there's so much spiritual illiteracy within the church, unfortunately. Cats are not, I said cats, got a little ghetto. (laughs) Folks, believers are are, are not in the scripture. They're not reading the word of God. They're 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 not comprehending what the word says. When we spend little time in the word, that's a reflection of how we feel about God, That's how we really feel about Jesus, and it's not a legalistic thing, but there should be a healthy time that you and I spend in the Word. I can't map it out for you. Some people, they they get up super early and they get in the Word. Other people, if they can stand and do it, they, they, they do it late into the night. It doesn't matter, but you and I have to formulate. We have to figure out. We have to carve out time to engage with Him. Amen? If we don't engage with Him, then how are we going to know? We're not going to know what He truly wants for us. We're going to constantly be stressed out, bummed out, making the wrong choice because we don't know His will, right? Right? We know his will when we study the word, when we engage with him, he'll speak to us. He'll Our, our spirit will witness to the Holy Spirit and then we'll get revelation. We'll understand and it, it just clicks. It's a supernatural thing. I don't know. I can't tell you how many times the Lord has just given me a word and I'm like, wow, it's I attribute that to him. Obviously, it's all him. He's allowed me to walk closely with him. And I can tell nowadays when I'm starting to drift off because he's like, hey, what are you doing? What are you doing? What do you what do you think that's going to benefit you spending a couple hours doing that? You know, and what I'm saying is prioritizing. There's nothing wrong with having, you know, activities and, and things you like to engage in, things you like to do. I mean, God has created all this stuff for us to enjoy, obviously. Right. Well, within reason, if it's within the parameters of what he says is okay and is not okay, you can do all those things freely as you want to do. What I'm saying is the Bible speaks of there is an order to the operation. And when we put God first, when we put Jesus Christ first, things always work out better for us. But like the children, the remnant of Israel, when we put our own desires before him, you and I suffer the consequences. Psalm chapter 32, verses 8 and 9 Give us a, a clear understanding of this. It says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, 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 excuse me, or it will uh, or it will not stay near you. So, again, the Lord is the one that teach us. Well, how does he teach us? He teaches us by instructing us in the word. But how do we get instruction if we're not in the word? You don't get instruction. I mean, it's simple as that. And, 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 and again, we live in a culture. We live in, the, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a beautiful time where we have so much accessibility through technology. The word of God says what? Faith comes by what? Hearing the word of God, right? I mean, everybody's got a smartphone. It's not difficult to go on Bible app. Or go on one place find your favorite pastor find somebody that you are develop and figure out who you like to listen to and this is bible based you know systematic teaching verse by verse and start listening to the word of god or better yet if you're like i don't want to listen to a pastor you could just get the bible app and the bible app will speak to you you don't even got to read it that thing will read when my mom was in the hospital i told her hey you can just let this thing play on end It'll just keep going. You go through the, the whole Bible to your phone, the, the battery dies. But that that hearing the word is going to develop in you faith. You see, and then you're gonna start to get a hunger and a desire for the word, and you're gonna start cracking open in the book for yourself. It's gonna go from well, I just go to, to a church service on Sunday, or I just go to a you know a, 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 a prayer group on you know midweek, and that's good. Those are supplemental things that we need. But it becomes something where the Holy Spirit starts bubbling up in you a desire to actually get in the word for yourself. And it's not like, well... I need to be in the word, you know, only the pastors in the word, you know, that's a horrible church. I'm sorry. I'm just saying <laughs> if church thinks the pastor's the only one that should be teaching, that's not a good look. Me and Daniel talk about it all the time. And, and I, and I know that I have a little bit of issue with pronounce, pronouncing some of the words or some of the names, but in, in, in a lot of solid Bible based churches, there's actually somebody that's going along word by word, verse by verse. And if there's any heresy, if there's any kind of wrong teaching or out of context, it'll be brought to the attention of the pastor. You see, how can that happen if there ain't other people within within the body of of, the, of Christ that are in the word? You see, all of us. So the Bible says every man is a priest of his own home. I don't care how old or how young you are as a man, as a husband, or even if you're not married, you're a priest of your home. How can you be a priest of your home if you're not in the word? How are you gonna delegate and decide what goes on correctly, honorably, uh, honoring god if you're not in the word you see there's so many benefits and blessings to being in the word of god amen? amen i mean it keeps us from all error you won't you won't side with error you'll sidestep it i love how when 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 sam Ballat tried to t- try to get nehemiah killed brought in a false prophet and nehemiah i'm paraphrasing but nehemiah said to the effect who am i that i should hide who am I a man that I should hide he, he had a real right relationship with God he he didn't have any guilt or shame in his in his walk with the Lord because he walked in close relationship with God so he's like what I'm not gonna hide I'm not going God is gonna flip this on its head and you guys are gonna be the ones running I'm not gonna run and we all know how that story turned out but how did Nehemiah stand tall in the face of opposition well, clearly he had a right relationship with God and he was fellowshipping with him. So when, you know, worse came to worse, because that's what Satan will do. He'll try to co- he'll try to coax you with the shiny object, whatever it is, whether it's, you know, sex, drugs, money, you know, the shiny, shiny thing that, that, that appeals to your flesh. He'll try to get you that way. If that doesn't work out, what does Satan do? Okay, let's just compromise. We're in the midst of this right now. Oh, everybody, let's just meet halfway. You don't got to do all that. You don't got to believe the Bible like it says in the Old Testament because, you know, that's old-fashioned. You could do all these things. God is forgiving God. When that doesn't work, what? Satan tries to intimidate. And after that, if that doesn't work, it's a flat out, he's just going to take you out. He tried to get you murdered. Look at all the old prophets in the Bible. That's what happened to every single one of them that's what happened to Jesus but you see we can stand strong in the face of opposition if we walk closely with the Lord that all comes back to again being able to have discernment that's what we need more so than ever in men women and children within the church nowadays in in this age we're living in is discernment because there's so many deceiving lying spirits You have to test the spirit. You have to determine what is this individual speaking to me? Are they speaking truth into my life or are they speaking falsehood? Amen. Amen. All right. The second main point is this. As we live for Jesus Christ, we must constantly, 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 saints, consider our ways. Two times this is mentioned in, in, in the opening 11 verses. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Well, what does this mean to consider your ways for me to consider my ways? It means that the Lord is calling each of us to a deeper spiritual commitment to him and to take an analysis of what's going on in our lives. You see, many times we just are on autopilot. We just go. (laughs) We're just living. And then we don't even look back until the wreckage has already piled up and it's all in our face. But all the telltale signs, all the warning signs were all around us. If we would have taken the time and been wise, we would have been like, oh, man, things are starting to fall apart in my life. I better get off this train before I end up deceased and messed up. But many times we don't even recognize until it's too late. And, 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 and the Lord God Almighty is trying to tell the remnant when they're all messed up right now, building their own homes and neglecting the temple. He's like, consider your ways. Consider what you are doing You are setting yourself up for destruction when you could be in true living life with me. Put me first. We have to be thoughtful of our lives, church, of what we're doing on a daily basis. You know, the Lord wants us to consider how we spend our time, you know. And and, and for some people, they're very militant about it and they, you know, they structure out, you know. Every second of the day. And hey, hey, that's good. If that works for you, that's fine. Some people are a little more loosey-goosey with it and they're not really tripping like that. But it's still, either way, whatever works for you, we still have to take an account of what is going on in our lives. We have to reflect. Reflection is a good thing. I, I think many times for us, guilt will set in and, and people don't want to reflect because of guilt and because of shame. But again, Christ alone, the chief cornerstone if you come to him as you are and you're sincere about asking for forgiveness, he washes that away and you don't have to walk and live in shame and guilt and you can reflect. I know personally the Lord is constantly bringing to remembrance things that have gone on in my life. Not 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 in a con I know it's not Satan cuz Satan obviously condemns, but the Lord constantly reminds me, "Do not forget what I took you out of. Do not forget where you came from." Because You start forgetting what you come from. You start neglecting everything that you have and where you're at now. And you don't appreciate what the Lord is doing in and through your life. And then the people around you don't benefit because we just forget about it. And we just think, oh, I've been living with the Lord for so many years, I can live any old way. No, it's been said, the longer you live for the Lord, the more wretched you actually see yourself. You just are real. You're like, man, dude, freaking grimy person. It sucks, but that's... God's holiness <laughs> faced up against our wretchedness. I know we're new creations in Christ. What I'm saying is, He allows you to see the Word of God as a mirror, and we see. It goes to the depths. That's why when you you, you, you hear a message or you, you get in the word and you study the word and you allow the word to speak to you, it cuts to the core. That's why you could be alone and you can't fake it when it's you and the Lord and he's dealing with you on some kind of level about something going on in your life and you just have to be honest and say, Lord, forgive me. Help me to get right. Help me to live a better way. Help me to honor you in how I live. But that all comes from the sincere Seeking the Lord and allowing him to speak to your life and my life, considering our ways. You see, have we become so distracted and discouraged like these Israelites of old? Do any of these things sound familiar to you? I still have time. I'll get back on track next week. I'll get serious about my prayer life tomorrow. I'll start tithing or giving an offering when I have the money to do so. I just need to do this one thing first, <laughs> whether it's finding a job, finding a spouse, finishing school, saving money, and then I'll get back on track with my relationship with God and what he wants me to do. You see, the reality is we almost never find the time for God on our own accord This is where the Holy Spirit has to come in and impart that conviction upon us. And then we're like, oh, you know, you can't run from that weight that's on your chest. And and we need to get right with the Lord. Sometimes it's mainly like this until God confronts us in some way of us having to make a choice. Either to turn back to him or simply continue on the road of destruction. Nothing's ever going to change. Just think back in your life. Just think back. Again, I know for myself, the Lord, he allowed situations to occur where it's like I could not run anymore. And it was like, you're either going to choose me or you're going to choose your own way. And we keep thinking we got time. I got time. I'll do it next week. You know what? We don't have time. Like I said, a good buddy of mine, he's on hospice. He's younger than me. You know, he's younger than me. He got four kids to raise. Today is the day that we have. Today is the day that you need to make. I need to make that decision and live out our time according to what he would have us to do. Amen. Amen. The Bible is clear. Ephesians chapter 5 verses 15 through 17 says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. I mean, it's right there. Uh, It speaks so powerfully to me. All you have to do is look around, look at the state of the world. The days are evil. I talked about this last week. If If you knew the curriculum that they're teaching in these public schools, it would make you throw up. The days are evil. You know, so it's like for every parent every stay-at-home mom every you know person that's raising children man you have such an important responsibility you are shaping and molding the future leaders of this world so don't ever let anyone tell you that stay a uh, stay at home mom you don't have a real job are you serious are you serious that is so important we need more solid bible believing people raising our children than ever before don't leave it up to the school because the school is not going to raise your children with anything except, oh, just have safe sex and do this and that and just include everybody. <laughs> that's all they're talking about. They're not, they're not teaching them any real, real things that they need. I mean, I, I'm not trying to smash on the school. I get it. You know, math, English, science, those are all important things. History, that's important. But all the other stuff, nah, no, man, that's not good. And you can't even, don't leave it to the church. <laughs> I, I really don't like that. You know, I get it. The church is a resource. The church should be a blessing and we are a blessing. But it starts in the home. It starts in the home. First and foremost, the children are going to feed off of whatever they're exposed to on a daily basis. And if you and I as parents, uncles, aunts, grandparents, whatever, godparents, if we're not infusing them with the truth. Then, you know, the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree, as they say. All right. The third main point is this. I kind of kind of got on my soapbox there. Third main point is this. If we as children of God refuse to respond to his call in our own lives, we will never have enough no matter how hard we strive. If we refuse to respond to the call in our lives as children of God and we don't put him first, we're never going to have enough we may amass what the world says is everything I mean you could have Elon Musk kind of money and you're still not gonna be satisfied you could be what is what is he now King King Charles is that correct king Charles, III. king Charles you could be King Charles but if you don't have a right relationship with Jesus Christ you could be king by title and have control over certain amounts of land and region but you're still not going to be satisfied it says clearly in verses 9 through 11 that the lord was in no position to bless the children of israel because their prior priorities excuse me were out of whack so much so that it didn't matter how much they tried to till the ground they didn't receive what they thought they should have got come harvest time they looked for much Their eyes were wide. They had eyes wide open for the world, but they were never satisfied. The trouble was that the Israelites were not gaining the expected return for their labors. Again, the harvest fell short of their expectation. No doubt the same result accompanied any kind of their trade dealings with people. The deals they managed to achieve fell short of what they had hoped for. And the reason why Israel was experiencing such a loss in their expectation in life was because the action of God. God did it. God allowed it. He allowed it to not go forth. God tells Israel that their loss was because of the action which came from him. Their crops failed because God blew away all the profit. Their business results were poor because God intervened to cause it to be so. The waters of the, the earth were, were withheld. In other words, there was a drought because God deemed it so. It was because the temple, God's house, remained in ruins. And the reason for this, we, we, I think we get the implication by now. The reason was because the people neglected to work in the rebuilding of the temple. This neglect was because the people were so busy with their own affairs that they had no time or no inclination to work for the Lord. The fact that the temple remained in ruins was evident that God and His will were being neglected and the people were living for themselves. We have to ask ourselves the question today, what are we living for? What is it that the Lord has called you and me to do that we're neglecting? What has He called us to do and we've just put it on the back burner? You see, because in the case of the nation of Israel, this was a serious underlining reason for this neglect. The the nation was in great spiritual decline and it was because God was not loved and He wasn't obeyed. Self-interest had taken the place of interest first in God of all things. The people The children of Israel, the remnant, they owed God everything, and they didn't recognize that. He made them a nation, and he had protected them and blessed them. Israel's heart, however, was centered on themselves and not the love of God evident in their history. Whenever we think that you and I can do our own business and not tend to the Lord's first and foremost in our lives, we're going to experience the same kind of letdown, and I'm sure you've experienced it in your life. I know I have. It never works out right when I cheat the Lord and I try to do my own thing. It never works out, even in the smallest of things. But when you do honor God, gosh, I've been focusing so much on when we don't. But when you do honor God, I mean, I know we I know because I've talked to all of you guys in this room at some point in time. And there's stories upon stories of how the Lord comes through time and time again with an over and abundance, whether it's joy, peace, if it's monetarily, whatever, you know, material things you needed. He always comes through, even more so for the obedient believer. So let that be a word of encouragement for you this morning. Amen? All right, let's go ahead and look at these verses. In the second year, King Darius, the king, in the sixth month of the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, a prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of... uh, Daniel. <laughs> there you go. Shea governor of Judah. See, when, I, when when he's not here, I say Daniel would have said. <laughs> and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Okay, so in the second year of King Darius. So we need some brief historical background so we can dive into this and it can kind of make sense. So I'm going to go spend just a little bit of time on this area. The prophecy of of Haggai gives us several specific chronological points. So here we learn that the prophecy began in September of 520 BC. This makes Haggai the first among the post-selectic minor prophets. Of the 12 minor prophets, the first nine spoke before Uh, Judah was carried away in captive. They were exiled to Babylon. The last three minor prophets, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, each spoke to those who returned from that 70-year exile. So again, speaking to the remnant, these three, right? The three minor prophets. You could put it this way in Haggai's uh, timeline, right? So gone was the glory of the former kingdom and temple. Gone was the great population all that was left was the rubble of Jerusalem and the remnant people and the task of restoration. That was what was going on. He's, he, he came in at a time where, okay, <laughs> this is what's going on. Like the former days of glory were gone. It's like, here we are. What are we going to do? How are we going to do this? We need to honor the Lord and moving forward. In 538 BC, King Cyrus of Persia allowed the exiled Jews to return to Jerusalem after 70 years of captivity. We just talked about that. Two years later, the construction of the temple began, led by Zerubbabel. The work stopped after two years. That's roughly 534 BC. After 14 years of neglect, the uh, work on the temple resumed in 520 BC and was finished four years later in 516 BC. We know that these... Dates were recorded by pagan kings because there was no king at that time over Israel. Yet the date was still important to God. You might ask why. The application is this. There is a set time for each of God's messages to come to men and women. And God give, will give them plenty of opportunity to hear every message as soon as it is delivered to them. If we don't listen, he does keep count of the days of our delay. That should be chilling to the bone. God knows, he knows like, man, I've, I've, I've sent people to you. I've spoken to you through people. I've spoken to my, through you, to, through you, to my word. I've spoken to you through messages. He knows where we're at. There's no hiding. It's like, Adam, you can't hide. Ain't no fig tree going to cover it up. That's why God's like, I just want honesty. Be real with me. Let me know what's going on because I already know it's for our benefit that we're honest with the Lord, but he knows exactly where we're at. Next, we see this phrase, the word of the Lord came by by Haggai, the prophet. In the difficult years of the return from exile, God spoke to his people through this prophet. Haggai is also mentioned twice in the book of Ezra, uh, the priest who oversaw the work of the rebuilding of the temple. Um, We find first in Ezra chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. I'll go ahead and read that. It says, now the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Idio, prophesied to the Jews, who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, the son of... uh, Gosh, again. (laughs) Sheetiel. And Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, arose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. You can also read about that in Ezra chapter 6, verse 14. It basically says pretty much the same thing in a more condensed version. The name Haggai is probably an abbreviation form of the phrase Festival of Yahweh. That's pretty cool. Man, that's your name? Festival of Yahweh? No joke. Some speculate that he was born on the day of the major feast in Israel. We don't know that for sure. I can't speculate. Just giving you the information that I found. Next, we see Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel and Joshua. Haggai introduced us to two leading figures in Jerusalem during these difficult days of the rebuilding of the temple, and that's who these men were. Zerubbabel was the governor of Jerusalem and a descendant of the last legitimate ruler of Judah. Joshua was the high priest. So that's kind of a backdrop on, you know, if you want to go by timeline, that's what's going on here in our context this morning, or actually in this whole book. Let's look at verse two. It says, thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Okay, so we see this first phrase, the time has not yet come. Again, uh, Haggai gave this first word in September of 520 BC. At that time, these exiles, the remnant of Jerusalem or of Israel, they had been there for 18 years, 18 years. And the work hadn't even begun. All it was was just ruins for 18 years. They're like, it's not time. It's not time. It's been 18 years, man. It's not time. Ezra chapter 3 verses 10 and 11 says, And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forth with trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with symbols to praise the Lord according to the directions of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for, he is steadf- for his steadfast love endures forever towards Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. That, those are great verses, right? But despite how how glorious that was and how excited they were for this glorious beginning, after two years from that time, the work stopped and and, and discouragement began to set in and and, 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 and and this discouragement came in and it got the focus became derailed because they just they just lost sight of the goal after such a good start. you know that happens sometimes in our Christian walk, right unfortunately you know I, I, I know I, I've seen people. Where it's like, man, they're so on fire for the Lord. And then after a little bit of time, they just burn out. Why? Because they did not get deep roots. Everybody at first wants to be all about it. But it ain't a sprint. It ain't a hundred-yard dash. It's a straight coast to coast marathon from beginning to death, from the time you come into life to the time you die. Endure. Endure. Endurance is such an important thing. It's not about who's the fastest. That's the whole thing. It's not about the biggest building. It's not about how many people you get to sit in the seats. What's the point if nobody's growing deep roots with God? What's the point if nobody's being truly converted? (laughs) What is the point? We're just playing games. It's just, well, my church is bigger than yours or I'm on TV and you're not. I don't care about none of that nonsense. What does the Lord care about? He don't want Christians just to burn out after five years. Pastors falling off left and right. Why? Grow your roots, grow your roots, and you will be able to stand. What What is the whole thing? <laughs> Sinking sand, shifting sand. Building on the rock. Build on the solid foundation. Because when that when that storm comes, it's going to destroy that home, and that weak Christian's going to get blown away with it. And then and then it goes to them. People get into, well, is that person even saved? I don't want to. I'm not God. The proof is in the pudding. It's evident if you're not walking with the Lord and you one day walked with the Lord. Well, what happened? You let yourself go. The Bible says Satan wants to even deceive the elect if he could. Know that Satan's trying to deceive you and me. He wants us to fall out. He'll use little shiny (laughs) to try to get you. He'll try to get you to compromise. He'll try to intimidate you. And our other brothers and sisters in other parts of the world, none of that stuff works. He's just going to go ahead and try to kill you straight up. So for us... We need to make sure that we're growing deep roots so we don't fall out. We don't become like what is going on in our text this morning. You see, when Haggai prophesied, the foundation of the temple was laid and the altar was rebuilt, but the temple wasn't yet rebuilt. And here we see the people said, the citizens of Jerusalem, they told themselves that it wasn't yet time to return to the work of the temple. I know I've bashed on them or it may seem like I'm bashing on them. So I'm going to kind of give them a leg up in this. I'm going to try to paint the picture of, you know, from their perspective, what they probably were experiencing. OK, so the land was still desolate after seven, 70 years of neglect. That was what they were dealing with. Um, the work was hard. <laughs> you know, the work was hard. Let's put it like that. The work was hard. Stones, you're doing a lot of work, a lot of heavy lifting involved. It, you know, a lot of blood, sweat and tears, a lot of broken bones, a lot of blood. I mean, it, it wasn't easy to rebuild the temple. They didn't have a lot of money or manpower. They suffered crop failure and drought. Hostile enemies resisted the work. So again, they were being confronted left and right by, by enemy nations that were trying to get them to not build the temple Discourage them from it. Oh, just come along and be with our fake gods. They're dealing with that They remembered how easier it was in babylon Does not that sound familiar? sounds to me like you know, uh, the 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 israelites in egypt You know and when they were going through the exodus and all that. Oh, it was so much better when we were slaves This is too difficult. But the interesting thing is And not being harsh with them, but it's the same thing with us, right? It was their own doing. <laughs> it was their own doing that caused this to happen. Just like the children in Israel, something that should have took a short amount of time, but it took them 40 years because of their own kicking against the goads, their own rebellion, their own backbiting. And when you look at your life and when I look at my life, I'm just ashamed of how much time I wasted in my past because I just chose to go my own way, even though the Lord was tugging at my heart, trying to get a hold of me, trying to show me, don't go that way. And I just was a knucklehead, had to make all kind of foolish choices and, and, and outcomes and repercussions. And then finally, one day I got it. But how, how much wiser should we be and not fight against the Lord and just obey and submit instead of being like, again, how we see our brothers and sisters of, of past times were because they refused to do the work of the Lord. The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. That's the next phrase we see. Now we get this. The people made their excuse sound so spiritual. (laughs) They couldn't speak against the idea of rebuilding the temple, so they spoke against its timing. They knew it had to get done, but they tried to find a loophole, and that loophole was the timing. And they said, it isn't isn't God's timing for the temple to be built. It's interesting because I laugh, because it's like, how many times do we use that same excuse? (laughs) It's not... It's not God's timing. I mean, I've said it. It ain't the Lord's timing. Really? Come on now. Are you in tune or no? We'll be like, I'm just waiting on the Lord. <laughs> you heard that? Have you used that? Oh, I'm just waiting on the Lord. You know, there's some things you don't really need to wait about. <laughs> you see a person in need, you better get over there, get out in the street and go do something about it. Don't talk about, I'm just waiting on the Lord. <laughs> because he wants to use you to be a blessing to that person. Mm-hmm. You know, we say I'm just waiting on the Lord knowing full well we we don't even want to do it. (laughs) We got no intention to go that route. We don't want to engage with that person. We don't want to engage with that work. We'd rather be at home chilling, doing our own thing. Usually it's because the outcome won't come easy. We're going to have to put some elbow grease into it. We're going to have to work. And a lot of times we're like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to put in that effort. I don't want to put in that effort into that relationship. I don't want to go out of my way and engage with that person. Why? Because it's going to cost us something. It costs you something to engage with people. It costs you time. It costs you you emotional energy. It costs you all kinds of things. But that's what we're called to do. The application is this. Because of the great obstacles against the work, God's people began to rationalize and decide it wasn't time to rebuild after all. If it's so hard, evidently God doesn't want us to do it. That's what they thought. <laughs> or He doesn't want us to do it anytime soon because God's going to make it easy for us. He's going to make it. And, and, and that, that's an that's a un, unclean perspective that permeates the church today. Oh, God's going to just make it so easy. Really? Last I checked... You know, once you come to the Lord, man, it gets real, it gets raw. How raw was it? How real was it for Christ when he came and gave his life? And we're supposed to follow after him. That doesn't mean everything's going to be easy. It just means that we're going to have the true and living God, the God of the impossible on our side. And that's a great thing. That's the greatest thing you can have. But it's not going to be easy. It's going to be a lot of work involved. It's going to be a lot of sacrifice. They may have said the time has not come because they thought that 70 years of captivity had not been fulfilled. Maybe they thought that. But according to uh, chronological events that you can find when you research this stuff, they were in the 69th year since the last siege of Jerusalem. So they were trying to use that as an excuse. But still, it was showing a lack of faith on their part. Unbelief made these captives think that God's mercy might not come until after this 18-year period. And the people, again, they said, well, God, excuse me, he said, this people, right? Normally he says, my people. This is a very important detail to not miss. He says in the text, this people. He said this because he saw their excuses and their poor priorities and noticed they were not living like his people, Now, I'm not trying to beat these people up because remember, they weren't bad inherently. They're his chosen people. They were the remnant that returned from Babylon. But it's very interesting that he used the phrase this people because he was not happy with how they were living, how they were acting. Hundreds of thousands of people went into Babylon uh, captivity and only 50,000 returned. That's why they're known as the remnant. There was only a small group of them that came back. Those who did were the most committed to the Lord and to the restoration of Jerusalem now this I share that because this should be a great encouragement for us church the remnant you know faithful dedicated loyal devoted to God putting God in first place in your life though it's difficult the Lord corrects those he loves chastises those he loves so when you sense the correction when you sense the conviction it's not a bad thing it's bad when you don't have any conviction anymore it's bad when you don't ever get chastised it's bad when you don't ever get corrected by the Lord you know I've learned that. I've learned to understand. It's like, okay, yeah, I'm trying to become more obedient. And when I'm not obedient, the Lord corrects me. And now I I get it now. I'm like, okay, Lord, you love me. You love me enough to correct me. I tell that to my son all the time. I love you enough to correct you. If I didn't love you, I'd let you do whatever you want. And you just end up a fool. You just grow up a big old fool doing whatever you want. And then you're going to go out into the street and you're going to get dealt with because you're going to act like that to somebody who ain't going to have it. And you're done. I said, I love you enough to tell you what is correct and what is wrong now you have to make the choice you have to decide for yourself do you want to be wise or do you want to be a fool I talk straight up like that to my kids I do I do I'm sure you do too there's no other way to be you can't you can't fake it they're gonna respond more to the truth than you than trying to you know to butter it up that just that the buttery up stuff don't work it's fake <laughs> it's fake Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6 says, For the Lord disciplines the ones He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. Obviously, that's daughters as well, but you get the picture, right? And He loves you and I too much to just let us go doing dumb stuff. He's like, man, if you knew how much I loved you, please just turn back to me. I have so much good for you. If you would just allow me into your life to be king and ruler and messiah of your life, you will get everything you need. And we come to find out that a lot of the stuff that we engage with that we thought was so important, after all, it's not that important. I was talking to Lou a couple weeks ago and, you know, it's um, it, I, I don't watch a whole NFL football game anymore. I haven't for a while i'm a sports guy i enjoy sports but i don't watch a whole game i've won because i got two young kids but it's like it ain't that important i'll start watching the game even the mexico city game it was a great game i watched i watched some of it often. i didn't watch the whole thing because my priorities have changed it's like i want I, I i rather i rather see my kids happy you know than than me just like okay yeah i'm just gonna spend three and a half hours on my butt watching this football game I get it. It's different if you don't got young kids, but but that's something where it's like the Lord is changing priorities in my life and, and it's becoming different. It's not how it used to be 10, 12 years ago. And it should be like that for you as well, where the Lord is rearranging things and you're like, man, some things are just not that important to me that they used to be. And now there's other things that are more important. And, you know, my wife had to share this with me a while ago. And she's, you know, the Lord always speaks to, uh, you know, me through Veronica. And she's like, it's about people. <laughs> It's about people. You know, I, you know I, I can be very introverted. and It's like, it's about people. That's how we share the love of God. It's through people. It's not just being in a book. The book is good. The book is good. The, the book gives you the basis for what you're supposed to do. But you and I are supposed to apply the book. How do you apply the book if you never want to be around nobody? <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, I got the joy of the Lord in my heart. Oh, how do you get the joy of the Lord in your heart when you're always alone? You ain't got joy. You're like Ebenezer, man. You're ball humbugging it. You got joy when you share that joy. And it becomes infectious and it spreads and it touches people. And somebody that's down and out, they can get lifted up because the Lord is using you in that way. And then you get blessed because you understand, man, that's what it's about. That's why he kept me here. So I could be a blessing and not a curse to people. Because at the end of the day, we're either a blessing or a curse. That's it you're smart people you could see it there's plenty of people out here with hexes and vexes and white and black witches acting a fool trying to curse all kind of people in the name of mother earth that's horrible so be a blessing <laughs> being a true blessing is showing them the truth of who jesus christ is because at the end of the day we're all going to have to stand and give an account amen all right um verse three and four i better start blowing through this <laughs> Might be a part two next week. I don't know. All right. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. Is it time time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lays in ruins? Then the word of the Lord came. God saw and heard their excuses and poor priorities, and he had something to say to them through the prophet Haggai. The people said that it wasn't time to rebuild the temple. In their actions they said it was time to have their nice homes. <laughs> it wasn't time to rebuild the house of the Lord, but it was time for us to, uh, to rebuild and have nice homes for ourselves. In a stark contrast, King Solomon, King Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, Lord, what do you want, Solomon? <laughs> he said, oh, I want to be wise. I want wisdom. I want to know the difference between good and evil. I want to be able to live in a way that's honoring you. Solomon first built a house for God, then for himself. He went about the Lord's business first. He tended to the Lord's desire for his life first, and then he tended to other things. We see that this statement again, the temple lays in ruins. This was the real problem. Not that God's people lived in paneled houses. We talk about it all the time. There's nothing wrong with having nice stuff. You can have a house on the hill for all I care. It's fine. If you've earned the money and worked hard, you should be able to, uh, you know, spend your money like that. If you want a nice boat or whatever you're into, that's fine. It's not about that. If you like nice shoes, whatever, it's fine. But what is your priority? What is my priority? Things get out of whack when we prioritize this stuff over God's business. Amen? You see, these people lived in such personal comfort and luxury while the temple was in ruins. The application is this. Again, wrong ordered priorities. They were content to let the cause of the Lord suffer rather than give up their comfort. And that's what I see within the church today. I'm not talking about you in particular. I'm just saying in general, the church, it, it, it can get like that, unfortunately. And they felt no Instead, we should feel to have no rest until the work of the Lord is a prosperous thing. And and then we engage in other things. But it actually, he turns it on its head. God will make our desires different in general. And, and this is what happens when we put the Lord first. You, sh- you see, they should have been as willing to sacrifice for the work of the Lord as they were for their own personal comfort and luxury. How are we doing with that today? Are we we sacrificing for the work of the Lord as much as we sacrifice for our own personal enjoyment and comfort? That's something that you and I have to ask ourselves. It's easy to see how this happened to them over the course of 14 years. At first, the work is stopped because it was so difficult and, and some obstacle in construction prevented the progress. Their excuses might have been something like this. We can't get much done on the temple and... And I'm tired of living in a wreck. So it's time we start remodeling our home. Or God wants to give me attractive things at home. And and home comes first. You know, I heard that excuse all the time. Home comes first. I get it. God comes first. (laughs) God comes first. Family comes second. That'll all get sorted out. You'll love your family a whole lot better if you put God first. So many people, like I said, man, they won't miss a soccer game. They won't miss a, a, a fall baseball tournament. But they don't come to church. They don't come to church on a regular basis. How do you expect your family to function and work properly when you're not engaging in the one area where it's supposed to be central? You put God first, your whole family's going to work out. I don't care how much of a mess it looks like. You put God first, it's going to work out. You don't put God first, your family is going to suffer. They are going to your whole family is going to suffer the consequences of not putting God first. Don't go down that road. Amen. Don't go down that road. Put him first and watch him restore. Watch him bring back from the dead all of these things and people whose lives were destroyed and messed up, the Lord will restore. He'll restore the years the locusts have eaten if you would put him first, if I would put him first. It may not look the way we want it to look like, but he will restore joy and peace. (laughs) They, They may be living on welfare, but he'll restore the joy. He'll restore the peace that the world can give. He will. They may be working at McDonald's or Target for the rest of their lives. They may not have that, you know, that house on the hill, but he'll restore if, you put, if I put him first. And this is what God was trying to get across to the children of Israel here. Many Christians are like these ancient Hebrews. Somehow convincing themselves that God's economy and his kingdom is all important while at the same time sparing no expense for whatever they want to do. Like, oh, yeah, I believe it. And that's, how we, that's what we call when we do lip service. We just talk about it. Oh, yeah, I say about it. And instead of just like, no, we got to do something. And, again, that's that whole thing about that community over there up the street. The Lord laid it on my heart because it's like I can sit here and talk and talk about how, yeah, we, we want to do some outreach and this and that. It's like the Lord's like there's a bunch of people right there. <laughs> there's a bunch of people right there that can use some help, go out there, and be an influence for good. Honor me by honoring them. And be a blessing to them, you know? And that's what it's about. Next, we see this 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 portion about the houses. Some of them had more than one house. <laughs> that's what the text doesn't say, but you gotta dig and you'll find out some of these people have more than one house. So, like a city house and a country house, while God's house lay in ruins. So, do you see? Do you understand why God was not happy with them? <laughs> it's like, bro, you got two houses, you got two estates, and you ain't over here trying to build. My temple up? Oh, crazy. All right, five and six. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. This is one of the most important phrases in this portion of scripture consider your ways the hebrew figure of speech for this phrase is literally put your heart on your roads haggai asked god's people to consider what direction their lives were headed and if they really wanted to continue on that way he's trying to get a hold of them showing them hey this is where you're at and this is where you're going to continue to go if you don't turn around you see, that's what I love about the Lord Jesus Christ. He always gives us an opportunity to make a U-turn. You know, every day is a new opportunity. We're, we're, we're not held by what has happened in the past. That's, that's, that, that's, that, that's that being condemned. That's what Satan wants to do. He wants to cause condemnation to fall upon your life, to come into your mind and your heart, and then you can't let go of your past. You can't forgive yourself from what you've done. But God's like, you know what? Have a short memory in the sense of know that my blessings are fresh and new every morning. And, and, and I forgive you, let's get on. Let's get on, let's move on. Consider your ways. It says that they they have sown much, so basically they worked super hard, but they brought back little. The cause of their financial difficulties was in their wrong priorities. They suffered setback after setback because the blessing of God wasn't in their pocketbook. Haggai described a double curse. Instead of much, little was reaped. And the little that was brought home melted away without doing any good. It was put into a bag with holes. It's like, man, I'm. It's like that's uh, what happened. What was the um, gosh, what was uh, what was everybody on a minute ago? Um, What's the whole? uh, What was that new currency? Not Bitcoin, huh? What was it? Yeah, crypto, right? I was talking to Lou. Was Lou? Were you telling me about that? They're bankrupt. They're bankrupt. They're done. Uh, whoever was, whoever, whatever NBA arena that was, you know, whatever sponsor, they're done. They dropped them. They're done. They're done. And I'm, I don't mean to laugh. And I'm not talking smack about people. Please don't, don't take it that way. But what, I, but it's just the Lord's showing me right now. It, oh yeah, man. That's that get rich quick. Oh, I'm going to be laid up for, man. I'm going to be, I'm going to be a billionaire, bro. Crypto, bro. Crypto. What happened? Bag with holes. All because priorities are out of whack. All because priorities are out of whack. Not putting the Lord first is not a good thing. You see, these judgments were a fulfillment of promises God made hundreds of years ago before the time of Moses. The people of Israel were being judged and they didn't even know it. They probably wrote it off as bad luck or tough economic times. But God was trying to tell them something. Deuteronomy chapter 11 verses 16 through 17, as I I close, we'll have to do a part two. We just don't got time. I'm too (laughs) long-winded. Too long-winded, unless you want to do a southern service. We'll be here for another hour. No, I'm just playing. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 16 and 17 tells us, Take care, lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain, and the land will yield no fruit, and you will perish quickly off the good land that the Lord is giving you. The application is this. Unfortunately, this is what is happening in our day and age. Because people don't see the Lord as all or don't put Him as top priority in their lives. They toil hard, but their hard work is simply wasted. Have you ever felt like that? Like you work so hard, and it all has come to nothing. It may be because you're not putting the Lord first in your life. You see, sometimes our priorities are out of order and we seem to suffer. Oh, this is the other thing. Sorry. Sometimes we do this and we seem to suffer no financial hardship. In such times, we should never presume that the mercy of God is we should turn to Him and reorder our priorities before His needs to use as a crisis to get through to us. Sometimes people think just because they don't suffer any hardship that they're pleasing to God. He'll let you prosper for a little while. But still, the bottom line remains, we need to honor him with our lives. I'll end with this last portion. It says, you drink, but you are not filled with drink. If our priorities are wrong, nothing, nothing will satisfy us. Each accomplishment soon reveals that there must be something more. There must be something else that can really satisfy us. Nothing can fill that God-shaped void in our lives except putting him first. What does the Bible say? He is the living what? The living water. He's the living bread too. He's the bread of life, but the living water. When we take of him, when we put him first, when we drink of Jesus, there becomes a bubbling spring of life, of water that fills up in us to the point where we can't contain it. And it has to come out. Today, may we be those who truly look to put him first and allow him to satisfy us and guide us on our path in this life. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we just thank you that, uh, Lord, you provide, Lord, the, 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 the exact direction we are to go. Lord, you want us to know. You don't hide things from us. You're such a good God that you show us, hey man, this is the right way to go and you will be blessed for it. And you also warn us, if we continue going down the wrong path, we will suffer. Ultimately, we will suffer spiritual and physical death. Lord, so may we be those that would choose wisely. May we repent, get right with you, and continue on in our journey and living for you. Father, I just thank you for your word as it's gone out. And I pray that it would find good soil and that it would take root. May we all grow deep roots in your son, Jesus Christ. I pray this all in his precious name. Amen.